136, which that first one was uh, based upon. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And so it continues. His love endures forever. Um, not forever, but at least to the bottom of the next column. Uh, so uh, that was, was where it's based from. And it's a Psalm 136 is a psalm that recounts the uh, activity of God in bringing, uh, predominantly in bringing uh, his nation out of Israel. Uh, it also it begins with talking about the creation and then describes the bringing Israel out of Egypt and uh, placing them within the, the promised land. So um, his love endures forever and his actions in the world are um, there as evidence of his enduring love. So uh, that's where that comes in. And uh, we're, we're going to be uh, in the book of Exodus today. As we continue going through this series of sermons of conversations with women of the Bible, um, it's a format that doesn't have us going uh, into the text in, in a great deal of detail. Uh, so I'm not going to be uh, reading long sections or getting into the Greek and Hebrew you know, meanings of the original languages, that sort of thing. Um, but if you want to read it and dig deeper on your own, I, I, I point you to uh, Exodus... Uh, sorry, Numbers chapter 12 um, is one of the passages, and then Judges chapters 4 and 5 are where today's text is going to be taken from, even though, uh, as I said, I won't be reading a lot about it, mostly just providing you with a summary. A couple of weeks ago, as we talk about the women of the Bible, uh, we, we spent time with Mrs. Noah, uh, who isn't given a name, except Mrs. Noah, and Zipporah, who is also known as Mrs. Moses. And, um, and, and we spent time with them just talking about going into the unknown and the amount of faith that it took for them. And, and we described them, or, or I described them, as the first followers. Okay? They are the first followers of their husbands in this case that if Noah couldn't get Mrs. Noah on the boat, he might not have got anyone on the boat. He might not have got the boat built. Um, if, if Moses couldn't convince his wife Zipporah to uh, travel through the wilderness for 40 years, then, uh, or, or to travel with him towards Egypt, maybe he never made that journey uh, at all. And, and so their role as the first follower uh, was, was vital to the success of their husbands. And, and we all need, at times, to be these first followers, to step up and say, I'm not sure about this, but let's give it a go. You've got a vision, you've got an idea, maybe it can work, and because I love you, because I care about you, I'm going to support you, and uh, let's, let's see how this turns out. Uh, churches need people like that. Our families need that, right? Have you ever been in a marriage and you've said, okay, uh, I, husband, wife, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know that this is going to work, but let's give it a try. 
or I'll just sit back, sip my lemonade, and watch you fall on your face, right? No, we wouldn't do that much. Right? Uh, so, so we're there to support those people. So first followers are important. But uh, today we're looking at two women who are leaders in their own right. Okay, So not, not as first followers, uh, but leaders in their own right. And interestingly, both of these women are described in Scripture as prophets. And I'm talking about uh, Miriam and Deborah. And uh, so we're going to sit them on our buddy bench up here. And uh, as I told you the first week, just imagine that's clouds in the background. Not, uh, uh, so it's a heavenly buddy bench, not, not snow and freezing cold. Um, but uh, they're, they're going to sit there and uh, we'll just eavesdrop on their conversation. Now, saying that these two women are prophets doesn't mean that they uh, are able to predict the future. Okay? That's not the, the meaning of the word prophet. It tends to be um, how, how we use that word, just in everyday language. Okay? So we might say, oh, Copernicus. Not Copernicus. Um, Nostradamus was a prophet. Okay? Uh, because, he predicted, because he predicted the future, if, if you believe that's what happened. Right? So we would look at those people and say whether someone is a prophet or not is based on their ability to predict the future. But when the Bible uses the word prophet, that's a, a minor aspect of prophecy. I, I think people or Christians that want to equate prophecy with predicting the future haven't actually read the prophets. Because if you read the prophets... Uh, all those books after the book of um, Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, right? So from Isaiah on, if you spend time in those books, they're prophetic, but they're not all predicting the future. They're rather saying, get right with God. And so prophets are people who speak for God, who point people to God and say, get right, get back, do what God has told you to do. Now, as part of that message, there are times where they will say there will be consequences if you don't follow God. If you fail to do what God tells you to do, there will be consequences. And sometimes, in, in Scripture, these prophets could be quite specific. Right? You'll be taken to Babylon. You'll be taken to Assyria. These things, specific things will happen. But that is not to say it was the bulk of their message. So, Miriam and Deborah have this God-given responsibility as prophets to point people to God. And we join them at the buddy bench, just as Deborah, uh, after they've introduced each other, and uh, Deborah is starting the conversation. And so she begins, It's an honor to meet you, Miriam, sister of Moses. You got to see and experience some incredible acts of God the plagues that, that poured out on Egypt and, and just the terror and the fear, and yet you were safe. The, the parting of the waters as you walked through the middle of it and then the destruction of the greatest army on the face of the planet. That must have been amazing to be a witness to that. And your relationship with Moses, Miriam, gave you the inside information inside, inside into what was going on 
what God was doing, what God was planning. But one of the things I'm curious about is, is does it bother you that you're always described as Moses' sister? So Miriam responds, well, it used to. It really did. But I got over it the hard way. Let me, let me tell you, let me explain. I was the older sister. I was the one who, when Moses was a baby and the Pharaoh was killing uh, male children, male newborns, that I was the one who put him in a basket and, and made sure that he floated down next to one of the princesses. If it wasn't for me, Moses never would have been raised as a daughter, as a son of Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. And then, when he gets up and runs away into the wilderness, where am I? Still in Egypt? Still a slave? And then, after all these years, decades, out of the blue, he just shows up one day. Marches into Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Who does he think he is? But, but, but mind you, it wasn't even Moses himself speaking. He had to get my brother Aaron to do the talking for him. Well, I admit, I agree, God did mighty, powerful, amazing things through Moses. Clearly, Moses had found God while he was away from Egypt. And it was so exciting when we finally got out of there. It had been centuries that my people, our people, had been in Egypt. And, and we got out there, we saw the Egyptians just floundering in the water as God took care of them, and we were on the other side on our way to freedom. Oh, we, 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 I, I was so overcome with joy. We just... Out there in the desert, we sang, we danced, we praised God for hours, me and the other women. And from that time on, God used me to speak into the lives of people. I didn't really expect that. But while it's true that God mostly spoke to Moses and and gave Moses the instructions for the whole camp. I had this role of just sitting with people and listening to them and, and talking to them, and God would, would sometimes give me a dream, or sometimes I'd get a, a feeling. Sometimes it was wisdom that I didn't know that I had as I shared with them God's will for their lives. Aaron was similar as we joined this leadership team. And together, the three of us made a pretty good team. Eventually, though, Deborah, I gave in to jealousy. Everything was about our little brother Moses. Moses this, Moses that, Moses, Moses, Moses. Talk to the rock, Moses. And we felt like we were being pushed to the side. Right? We, were, we were his older brothers and sisters. We were the ones who'd 
endured slavery while he'd lived in the palace. We were the ones who knew the people better than he knew the people. We were the ones that, that, that God used and spoke to as well. And so we spoke. We confronted Moses about what was going on. Well, turned out that really wasn't a good idea. Not, Moses wasn't that upset, but God sure was. Because he clearly had a special role for Moses. And when I look back, I realize that you know, God didn't speak to me at a burning bush. You know, God was, was using my brother in ways that he didn't use me. But God really wanted to make a point. And so he gave me this, this skin condition. And, and I had to live outside the camp for seven days. And it was horrible. It was itchy. I looked awful. And, and the whole camp knew because they couldn't move. The whole camp just stayed there for seven days waiting for me. There was no hiding my jealousy. But it gave me time to think. And uh, I promise you, I learned my lesson. These days, I'm quite happy to be Miriam, Moses' sister. After all, I think he turned out okay. And, and actually, Deborah, you remind me a lot of Moses. Because you and Moses are both judges over Israel. And people would come to, to both of you with their problems. You both spoke to God, spoke for God. Like that time where, where you sent for Barak and you said, Barak, God is telling you to come and assemble an army. And, and God, and, and neither of you were really uh, warriors. I don't think my brother Moses ever picked up a sword. And, and, but you both had generals that you were able to delegate that to. Moses had Joshua and, and others. You had Barak. But God still used you in battle because he gave each of you a battle plan. And, and you passed that on to the generals and made sure that it was followed. Made sure that, that that was what happened. And remember that, that time in your battle as, as Barak is, is fighting the Canaanites and they, they flee and they, they go up north and they, they try to cross that river and the, God makes the river flood just at that moment. And, and all those fancy chariots, they, they, they get stuck in the mud, they get washed away in the river. You remember that? That reminds me so much of what it looked like when we came out of Egypt, as the Egyptian army was there wallowing in the waters. And then you and Barak, you, you have that song that's recorded. Uh, takes up the whole of chapter 5, telling how God used you to win 
that victory. And, and it must have been quite a celebration for you. I, I, I can't imagine that it was the same as, as jubilant as the celebration that Moses and I had when we got to the other side of the Red Sea. But like Moses, you led the people in worship and praise of God. Deborah, you, you're quite the leader of God's people yourself. Well, says Deborah, that's very kind of you. It was certainly a great battle. And God won a great victory. But that was really the highlight of my leadership. After that battle, life was better, and it was quiet. Well, now, that's not a complaint. I mean, that was what we'd been praying for, that we might have a, a quiet life, that, that the Canaanites would stop raiding our, our fields. It's what we, what we prayed for. And yes, from, from then on, it's back to, to sitting under the palm tree and sorting out those squabbles that seem to take up so much of our lives. Before we leave, though, Miriam, I want to say that I respect you so much for owning your jealousy. I mean, I have one big story in the Bible, and it happens to be a good one. We won that battle. It was a great time. Um, but the, the biggest story recorded about you isn't your finest hour. It, it takes honesty, humility, and courage to learn from that and to keep on serving God in front of all those people. As I was one woman to another, I just want to say thank you for the example that you gave all of us. So what it's like to move on through uh, our failures and shortcomings. All right. So one of the benefits of slowing down and taking time with the women of the Bible is that we get to look at some of the details that we may skip over. So um, I don't know that I'd ever noticed Miriam described as a prophet before. Because usually what we do is we talk about Moses, we talk about the Exodus, we talk about Moses leading them through the sea, the Egyptians dying, and then Moses and Miriam singing a song. And that's what we're talking about. And the greatness of God and God's provision in all of that. But when we slow down and we say, oh, let's just look at Miriam, there's not a whole lot written about her. And so suddenly you're looking at these verses a little more closely than maybe we have before. And it's like, well, that's a really interesting description that is given of her. And so we're prompted then to confront maybe some important details that we might overlook otherwise. Look at the things that we're told about Miriam. Exodus 15 and verse 20 is where it says that she's a prophet. Um, God, we're told in, in Numbers 12 and verse 2, God speaks through her. That was why she and Aaron had the, the moxie, had the year to, to go and talk to Moses. They're saying, look, we get dreams from God. We're, we're prophets, we speak for God. 
Moses, you're not the only one. So, so God was using them. And if we were then to go to, uh, there's this reference in Micah chapter 6, verse 4. You don't need to go there. But there Micah is just saying what God has done for the people of Israel. And in it, he says, God used Moses along with Aaron and Miriam to bring his people out of Egypt. So they were um, together, the three of them, leaders of Israel. Now, Moses is clearly uh, the, the figurehead. Right? He's the go-to guy. Uh, but uh, we shouldn't underestimate the influence of Miriam and Aaron. Now, Deborah is also a, a fascinating leader. Um, of all the, the leaders described in the book of Judges, okay, there are three that get multiple chapters. Okay? Anyone want to guess what those, those three are? Which are the judges that we know the most about? Gideon is one. Yep. Samson is the other. Number three is Deborah. Now, what do we know about Gideon and Samson? Gideon starts out very humble, um, wins a great victory, but then things go off the rails. Uh, he gets back, he, he makes an ephod. Later on, that ephod uh, comes to be uh, worshipped. There's all sorts of um, squabbling about who gets to be his successor as though there's some sort of... Um, hereditary, uh, what do I want to say, monarchy or something. They want to make him king or his son's king. And, and the high point of Gideon's life is when his, he wins the battle. And from that point, you know, the, the people have peace, but he's not exactly leading them closer to God. Then we look at Samson. I don't know that if Samson sat down under a palm tree that anyone would have gone to him to get wise advice. Okay? Samson's solution was, bring him here, I'll fix this. Right? So um, God used him. Right? God used him to hold off the Philistines. God, God used him really to bring sort of like military peace on his, on, on his people. Um, but... Samson is not really a role model, even though we tell that story in Vacation Bible School quite a bit, right? It's like, look how God used Samson. Don't be like Samson. You know? um, Deborah, on the other hand, of all the judges, is the gold standard of judges. She um, is, well, the first thing we're told about her is that she's a prophet. And then we're, we're told that she's a judge. And so she developed this reputation through her wisdom, um, through her, her relationship with God, that people trusted her to come to her and say, we have this problem. And, and it could be, you know, we don't know exactly the sort of things that they went, went through. It wasn't a legal system as such. But at the same time, I think people would come to sort out disputes, uh, to seek advice about what they should do in difficult situations. What does God have to say about this? And so uh, Deborah fulfilled that role for a long time. Before uh, she, she went to battle against the Canaanites and presumably afterwards as well. 
Interestingly, when Hebrews chapter 11 lists the great people of faith throughout the Bible, when it runs through the judges, it mentions Barak, the, the general that won the battle, but it doesn't mention Deborah. And, and, and that's interesting because I think the way we usually tell the story is that we make Barak sort of a weak-kneed, reluctant leader. Um, and yet, he's the one that shows up in Hebrews 11. And, and we would say, oh, Deborah's only in that position because of the weak personality that Barak has. But I want to suggest instead that God has chosen two people with two sets of gifts that are, are living out their gifts, that God is using them in two separate areas. Uh, Deborah was not Joan of Arc. She was not a warrior. She wasn't going to lead the people in the battle. But she could direct them. Barak, on the other hand, he, he evidently is a courageous general. He evidently has the power to organize, the authority, the respect to organize the people to, to plan the battle, to charge in after the kings. Um, but he doesn't have that connection with God. He doesn't have that assurance. He needs to hear from Deborah that God is going to be on their side. And so Barak demonstrates faith in God because he goes into battle, because he trusts what Deborah has to say. And they each fulfill these roles. That, that God gives them, and together they win the battle. Even Barak insisting that Deborah come to the battlefield, and she says, well, I'll come, but just for that, a woman is going to kill Sisera, the opposing general. Even, even there, if you think back, Barak is not the only person to do that. Um, when, when Moses, for instance, is, is fighting one of his battles, Moses is up on the, on the hilltop with his hands raised, remember? And the fighting is going on downstairs. The presence of the leader was important. Moses dropped his hands. Then the opponents started to win. And so you have Joshua, and I'm not sure who the other person is, off the top of my head, holding his hands up to make sure that they don't lose the battle. Um, or when the Ark of the Covenant is brought out when they're fighting the Philistines. You know, the presence of God on the battlefield is important in the minds of the Israelites to winning the battle. And so Barak saying, Deborah, you've got to come with us, uh, just fits that kind of pattern that we need God's presence if we're to overcome this. And, and so, yes, it, it's not quite the, I'll go and I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but there aren't that many people in the Bible that, that actually do that, right? There, there's an awful lot of people in Scripture that God says, go do this, and they say, well... Just a moment. Right? Whether it's Moses saying, I can't talk, whether it's Jonah running in the opposite direction, whether it's you know, Isaiah saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like People seem to be reluctant to do what God tells them to do. Gideon putting out his fleeces and saying, I, I think I've misheard this. Let me, give me a sign. And, and so, um, so uh, Barak just, just kind of fits. In there. So, so the two of them work together fulfilling these different roles. So when we look at the lives of these two women, it would have been easy for them to pass up 
the opportunities that they had as, or the responsibilities that God gave them as leaders of his people. Miriam could have just said, no, I don't want to do the leadership thing. I'm a song, I'm a worshiper, I'm a song leader, right? Just let me and the ladies over here do the singing. And you guys go and make the decisions and do the, do the difficult stuff. But instead, she's involved, she's active in the lives of the, of the nation of Israel. Um, or, or Deborah could have stayed at her palm tree. She should have said, no, I'm not a warrior. I'm not a warrior. Like, God, go talk to Barak. You don't need me here. Like, I've got my job. I've got my role. People come to me. I sort out property disputes. I give advice about who should marry who. Like, I live a simple life here under my palm tree. And, and instead, she says, no, I'll go get involved. Yeah, I'll tell that guy what to do. Yeah, I'll go out to the battlefield. I'll, I'll be there. because I. And they both acted um, because they served God, they obeyed God, and their actions benefited the people. Okay, So there's this vertical and this horizontal where they care about serving God and serving the people. So that brings us to Mark chapter 10. And uh, here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus describes godly leadership to his disciples. Now, James and John have just gone and pulled a Miriam and Aaron, and uh, they've said, we want to be the top people here. What can you do for us, Jesus? He says, well, it's going to be hard. And they're like, oh, we're up for it. Hard is our middle name. Right? And he says, you have no idea. Then he comes down in verse 42. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we see is that James and John are looking for this positional authority. Okay, they are equating leadership with authority. Right? They're thinking in their heads, if I can't tell someone to go get me a coffee and they get me a coffee, then I'm not a leader. Right? Um, and, and that's what Aaron and Miriam, where they got off track. Right? They wanted greater recognition. They wanted their vice president um, of you know, national affairs put after their name. Or maybe they even wanted co-president of national affairs. You know, like, Moses, we're a team. We're all equal. And so it's this desire for recognition, this desire for authority, this desire for power. And that's really natural, isn't it? Because when you have that authority and power, you get what you want. You send someone for coffee and you want cream and two sugars and they come back with cream and one sugar, you send them right back out again. Right? You get what you want with your power and authority. But who is it that Jesus says has this, this picture of leadership? He says that's the Gentiles. 
That's the ungodly people of the world, how they define leadership. He says, in the kingdom of God, we do leadership differently. If you want to be great, you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be greatest first must be slave to all. And then he gives himself as the object lesson of that. That he didn't come to earth to impose his greatness upon people, but instead to offer him as a self, as a servant to the whole world, to each and every person. And so I think it's easy to look at the women that we we sat with on the buddy bench today and say, well, they are great leaders and that's not me. Like I could never lead people into battle. I could never lead a major corporation in a, you know, whatever it might be. I could never head this up or head that up. I don't want to tell people what to do. Like, that's not who I am. Perhaps because it's not my personality. Perhaps because I don't have that position. And, and, And so I think it's easy just to say, well, this message isn't for me. God's never going to perform miracles through me. Now, I can't promise you that, that God's go, going to perform miracles through you. I, you may you're probably write about that. But what I do want to suggest is that we all function as leaders in some areas of our life. If leadership is, de- is defined by the amount we serve and the way that we serve, then we all function as leaders in some area of our life. Another way of thinking about leadership is to think of the people that we influence. And we all influence people. Maybe you called someone on the phone this week and said, hey, you're coming to church. That was leadership because you were attempting to influence them. To influence the way people think and the way people act. And often just being in a room is enough to be an influence. Some of us who are here today, you remember... I don't know when. Was it 18 months ago? We met here and we had two services and the first service had 30 people and the second service had 15 people and 10 of them had been at the first so there really there were just five there for the first time and you look around and you go, well, I'm glad we're here. But isn't it better today? Isn't it like better to, to look around and go, hey, there's 50 people here today or whatever that number is. And, and so... We're encouraged. You've, your presence has influenced the way that we feel about this experience and about this moment. And you encourage because it's a good experience, because we see others here, because we experience love and interaction, then we're, we're prompted to return next week. It makes it easier to keep doing this, to keep being here, to keep worshipping God. And so we all have this capacity to influence those around us. And that's leadership in its most basic form. We need to be careful that we don't get in the rut of only thinking about leadership in terms of power and authority, but instead of service and influence. And so whether you are male or female, young or old, well-educated or barely educated, whether you have a super famous sibling or a general or not, God can use you to be a leader for him as you serve others. 
So the question is, as you go through this week, will you consider how you influence? Be aware. Have your antenna up and say, who am I influencing this week? And not just who, but how am I influencing the people that I encounter this week? Am I pointing them to God like Miriam and Deborah?